Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Several weeks ago, I began a series on, on what are the characteristics of revival in a person's life. Now, this series isn't uh, so much about what, uh, what all of the ingredients of revival are. This is applied to the individual. In other words, what are the characteristics in an individual's life? Characteristics of revival. Or he could say, like, you could say it like this. What does revival look like on a person? How, how, how can a person examine themselves and say, well, I, you know, I'm in this revival, amen? Like I said, there are some other uh, characteristics of revival in the larger sense uh, of, of what goes on in a church and everything, but we're talking, and, and some of these things cross over, and, and there's some of these in the other list as well, but this is particularly, uh, what are the characteristics of revival in a person's life? What is it? Uh, what kind of things would, let me say it this way, what kinds of things would one expect to see or find in someone's life who is genuinely experiencing revival? Amen? Let's, let's look first of all at uh, Habakkuk chapter three. Look at our text that we looked at before. Habakkuk chapter three. <clears throat> Verse number one says, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shiganoah. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then verse three really describes what revival is. The first two words, God came. This tells us what revival actually is. What is revival? What is a revival? A revival is not something that man plans and schedules and organizes and sets so many days apart for and calls in a special evangelist to have a, quote, revival, unquote. That's not what we're talking about. Revival happens when God comes in an unusual unusual way. You see, during a time of, of uh, apostasy and falling away in the church, God will especially move. And we've seen this throughout Israel's history. We've seen it throughout the church history that God will come in and, and move in a powerful way to uh, restore momentum to his work, to bring people back to the place they should be. And uh, one could argue, well, why, why does God do it this way? Why isn't the work of God and, and how God works, why isn't it just a continual progressive work of the Spirit? Well, it would be if it were not for people. But people backslide. And if you don't believe that, just start reading your Bible. Start in the Old Testament. You'll see that the people of God would be on fire. They would be in, in obedience. God would be blessing. The glory of the Lord would be present. But it seems that when the generation uh, whose leaders saw God's power and his work, when those people passed off the scene, it seems like the next generation went into apostasy. Anytime a generation uh, is, is present that has never really seen God's power and God's glory, then people lose sight of it and they begin to fall away and begin to backslide. So it's not because of God prescribing it this way. This is how he reacts to the condition of men. God will not allow his people to go on and on and on in a backslidden, defeated uh, way where their enemies run over them and the devil defeats them and so forth. He begins, first of all, to inspire people to pray. He begins to, get, to touch the faithful. There's always a remnant. 
that he begins to deal with and he puts it on their heart to begin to pray for revival. And as that prayer begins to grow, then God at, at the time that he determines will send a mighty move, a mighty revival, a mighty inflow of his spirit to turn the tide and it always starts with the people of God and then spreads outward uh, to affect the unbelieving world. That's how revival works, amen? Now, like I said before, if you haven't experienced revival personally in your own life, you may well wonder, uh, what is the big deal? What's this all about? Well, if you've ever experienced revival, you know what it's about, amen? And uh, over in uh, Acts chapter three, we also have this passage in Acts chapter three, verse 19 and 20 and 21 says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Notice where they come from. They come from the presence of the Lord. They don't come from man. They don't come from this world. They don't come from this earth. They don't even come from God's people. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Notice he said repent, be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times, that word times there is plural, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That tells me that revivals uh, uh, come, it's not a matter of just one revival, God sends specific times of revival. And revivals come, it's never all of God, it's never just all God's doing, and it's certainly never all man's doing. There has to be man and God working together. It's, it's impossible to try to ignite a fire where the wind of the Spirit's not blowing. Amen. You'll notice, I think everyone would agree that Acts chapter two, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that was a mighty revival. Amen. Notice God came. You say, well, God's always present everywhere. Yeah, he's present in some sense everywhere, but in, in, other, in other ways, he's not everywhere. He's not everywhere present at all times like he is some places at certain times. Even though his omnipresence, we understand that, he especially manifests his power and glory. And you can see that God was certainly there uh, on, on, at nine o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost in a way he wasn't a week before. Isn't that right? And so this is a mighty move of the spirit. This is a classic example of revival and notice that people were praying. The disciples had been praying for 10 days. You say, well, now we've been praying for eight years. What's, what, what's with that? I've read revivals. Listen, I've studied revivals for many, many years and I've studied revivals that uh, people began praying 30 and 40 years before revival came. I've seen revivals where people started praying just a matter of, of days or a couple of weeks and, and revival came. Here, the disciples were praying for 10 days, but God was getting them prepared for the entire 40 days. If you remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, the disciples were all hiding in fear. They were in unbelief, they were scattered. But when Jesus appeared to them on the evening Easter uh, night, when he appeared to all of them, there was a radical change that took place in them. And so for the next 40 days, he was with them and teaching them things concerning the kingdom of God. And this was a time of tremendous growth. I don't doubt that they were praying during this time. But we know that for 10 days, uh, following his ascension, that for 10 days they were in prayer. And it says in Acts chapter two that when the day of Pentecost had fully Come, then there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Notice there was a set day. There was a set day. God had a purpose in sending the revival on that day. And 
And it wouldn't have mattered if they had been praying for 400 days. That revival would not have come until the day of Pentecost because that's the way it's worded. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, there was something in God's timing. You say, well, what was it? I don't know. I do know this, that what he accomplished by sending this move on the day of Pentecost is that you had people gathered there from all of the nations uh, uh, surrounding uh, uh, the, the populated earth. Jews from all over the world had come in. And so it was a time where there would be maximum exposure. That wouldn't have been the case the week before, even at Passover. Amen. Uh, uh, you know, that wouldn't have happened uh, 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 during one of the other feasts. Also know that it happened in the morning because they were all acting drunk. And Peter was able to say, no, that couldn't be the example. I mean, that can't, that can't be the explanation because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Well, they couldn't have, they couldn't have offered that uh, uh, rebuttal at 10 o'clock at night. Amen. So we know something about there's God's, God has timing for things. God sends revival when it's his time, but he doesn't do it without enlisting his people to pray for revival. And you see, even though the day of, Pente even though the day of Pentecost fully came, if the disciples had been out fishing and, and goofing off and not praying, the outpouring wouldn't have come. There's man's part and there's God's part working together. And so we're experiencing revival because we've been praying a long time for revival. But the revival that we're praying for is more than just what's going on here. It's for a worldwide revival. And in order for a worldwide revival to take place, it takes people praying. And sometimes people are alerted to pray earlier than others are. Some people will get in on this revival and just, and they, and they haven't even, they don't even know about it yet. They're not praying about it. They're not thinking about it. They're not seeking God. They're going another way. But God's gonna stir more and more people up and they'll, and they'll come in and they'll start praying and it'll seem like they reap overnight. Yeah. You say, well, that's not fair. <laughs> Listen, it's all about revival. It's all about getting God to do what he wants to do in the world, amen? And so we talked about uh, uh, the characteristics. Now, you know, uh, it's important for you to understand this, that revival's, vary in strength and scope. Revivals vary in strength and scope. Uh, uh, local revivals vary in strength and, and obviously in scope. And, and, uh, and so God does different things at different times. Uh, we talked about some of the characteristics. First of all, the first characteristic in a person's life who's in revival, they have a deep hunger for more of God. They wanna know God in a deeper way, in a more intimate way. They just want more of God in their life. They're not complacent. They're not satisfied with where they are, even though they're saved and enjoying the blessings of God. Or, or it could be that they're half backslidden. Whatever the condition is, either one, all people need to be revived. Amen. Uh, then we talked about number two, repentance and separation. Every revival has this component. And every person that has, has been revived has been revived and part of the process is repentance and separation. Turning loose of things that, that ought not be in your life, repenting from things that the Lord shows you that are contrary to his will. And they don't look at me like, well, now I'm, I'm good, I don't need repentance. Well, first of all, you're a liar <laughs> and you need to repent from that. Amen, because everybody has areas where they know they're not meeting the mark, where they know that, they, that, that God has been dealing with them about things and that things aren't completely right. I don't care who you are. Repentance is necessary in a time of revival, separating our, ourselves from things that hinder. And then on Wednesday night, I picked this up, this past Wednesday night, and I talked about number three, a life wholly, completely consecrated to the Lord, where a person gives themselves entirely to God. It's a conscious surrender. It's a conscious uh, consecration. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, 
he was facing something that that in the natural he repel he re, re, it was repulsive and it repelled him and and he didn't want to go the way of the cross and he said lord if there's any other way that your will can be accomplished let it be nevertheless not my will but your will be done as word of faith people we've always been quick to identify that uh Praying, if it be thy will, is, is a killer of faith. Uh, a prayer of petition, a prayer of faith where you're asking for something based on his word that you want God to do for you. When you end that prayer with, if it be thy will, you just nullified your prayer because you just said you don't know if it's God's will for you to have that thing. Well, if you don't know if it's God's will for you to have that thing, you can't have faith for it. Faith only exists where the revealed will of God is, where you know the will of God. And so we've been strong, and that was an important tenet, an important uh, uh, fundamental of the word of faith movement that has so helped us and so changed our lives. But I also remember that uh, the father of the, of the word of faith movement, Kenneth E. Hagan, I heard him say on many occasions that the prayer of consecration is the prayer where you pray, not my will, but thy will be done. In other words, if it be your will. And he said, you will have to pray that prayer over and over and over throughout your Christian life to remain consecrated, to go to the next place that God has for you. And he said, it's a prayer that I've prayed and continue to pray and will pray all of my life. So we need to understand and get reacquainted with the prayer, if it be thy will. Not my will, but your will be done. And so there's a place of, of surrender. If you're gonna have revival in your life, you're gonna have to come to a place of, of complete surrender to the Lord. That means giving him access to every aspect, every part, every motivation, every objective of your life. You begin, when revival takes place, people begin to examine their heart and they begin to talk and they begin to set aside their, their objectives and what they do in life and what their purposes are and what their dreams and their hopes and their vision. And they begin to line them up and compare them. Now, do these line up with the word? And when you see that something doesn't line up with the word, that's when you have to get rid of that thing. That's, a, that's the act of consecration, Amen. Hallelujah. We talked on Wednesday night about uh, the cares of this world. I want us to go over there uh, and, and, and read this again. Even if we don't finish today, it's still important for us to, uh, for everyone to hear this. In Mark chapter four, we know the parable of the sower. We'll take time to read all of it. But uh, he talked about, he gave this parable of a parable uh, of, of someone who goes out, a farmer goes out and sows the word. And he says that, and then he talks about three or four different uh, uh, reactions or results from this sowing. And then he gave the explanation of it. And so in, in Mark chapter four, he talked about the one sown by the wayside, verse 15. Then he said, there is those sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So these people don't produce any fruit. The first ones didn't produce any fruit. These don't produce any fruit. And then number three, these are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Notice it becomes unfruitful. That means this third classification of, of person or believer actually had begun to bear fruit. You couldn't become unfruitful unless you were fruitful, isn't that right? So they, they, they took the word and they received it when tribulation and persecution came, they didn't stumble. They stayed with the word. It continued to grow. It was producing fruit in their life. But then it's, he said that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things, Go with, hold your place here and go with me over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. 
Look at verse number 34. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with carousing. Does anybody know what carousing is? Somebody give me another word for carousing. Partying. That's, that's a good one. Take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighted down with partying, drunkenness. Well, we both know in the context here, both of these things are bad, aren't they? This is partying. This isn't having, this isn't an Easter egg hunt. This is, this is a party of where, there's, where there's bad things going on. Isn't that right? And now you know that that would weight you down. I mean, if you're a Christian and you're, and you're serving God and you go to the office party and everybody's drinking and everybody's carousing and there are things that, aren't, that are going on there that shouldn't be going on there, you go there and you, and you start yielding to this stuff because you don't want to be the oddball. Well, you shouldn't have been there to start with. If, if, if a party or anything like that, a gathering, I don't care if it is work-related. Well, I, you know, I, I need to network with people. Well, God can give you the network you need. Now, if your job, if you're gonna be fired if you don't go, then go, but put your armor on. Make sure that you don't, you don't allow any of that to get in you because you know that if that stuff gets in you, it will weight you down spiritually, will it not? Does anybody not understand that? Does anybody not understand the negative effect that that can have on your spiritual walk? That, I mean, without trying to, it's just gonna weight you down and you are going to leave that place not spiritually alert. It's, it's gonna have a negative impact on you. It's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna be carnal because of it. Isn't that right? And then the next one is drunkenness. And does anybody not understand that, that if, you, if you're drunk, if you go out and get drunk, whether at the party or by yourself, that it's gonna weight you down spiritually? Does anybody not understand that if you, if you uh, last night were at home and you started drinking and you got drunk and you don't repent, you come in this morning, you're not gonna be the same. You're gonna be weighted down spiritually, isn't that right? Well, notice he said, he said here, take heed lest to yourselves lest your hearts, your spirits, be weighted down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. If you wanna be ready for the Lord's return, you cannot afford to have things weighting you down. Your spirit man, isn't that right? And notice that the cares of this life, this isn't even necessarily evil things, just cares. Now go back with me, if you would, to... Uh, Matthew, and let's look at the sixth chapter. You say, well, what about the things of this life? You know, I, I have all of these things that have to be taken care of. You know, the cares of this life are many. And like I said, they're not all evil things. Some of them are necessary things. But just because they're necessary doesn't mean that you need to, be, to, to let them drag you down. He said, beware lest you be weighted down with the cares of this life. Well, well what, what about the cares of this life? What about the necessities of this life? Jesus said, therefore, this is Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not, the, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Let, let, me, let me add to this, and I don't think I would do, do, be doing the scriptures injustice. He's talking about more than food and clothing. You know, in another place, Jesus said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air, the fowl of the air have nests. So even the birds and the fat, because he, can, he, he talks about nature. He look in verse uh, 26, look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He not only feeds them, he lets them build nests. Build nests, isn't that right? Amen. They have a place to live. Might not be much to look at, but they like it. <laughs> Amen. The foxes have holes. God doesn't want us living in a hole or in a pile of sticks. Amen. So when he's talking about food and clothing, he's talking about the necessities of life. I, I contend that he's talking about equally housing, what you drive, all of the necessities of life. Can, would everybody agree with that? Look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your stature? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry. Do not be anxious. That's how you stay free from the cares of this life. Otherwise they will weight you down. Therefore do not worry, saying what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What, where shall we live? How can we have the nicest home? You know, what, what, how can I wear the latest fashions? When, when can I get that new pair of shoes? After all these things, the Gentiles seek. Now notice, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Now think about that. Think about all that the Gentiles seek. Think about all that the Gentiles seek. They seek everything. And, and they seek the nicest stuff. Isn't that right? The Gentiles, they, 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 there's a few people that, that go to Goodwill and shop, but most people, most people go to the mall. They want the new stuff. That's what the Gentiles seek. He said, your father knows that you need all these things. God is interested in you having the things of this life. He just doesn't want you taking the care about it not worrying about it. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Well, I'll skip to verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, the person that's in revival has said, God, I don't care. I'm not going to fret. I am going to give my entire attention to you. I'm going to be consumed with your plans and your purposes. And in the meantime, I expect you to provide my needs and desires equally with what the Gentiles seek. God doesn't want us as Christians, revivalists don't go around with the soles of their shoes out, you know, the top of their hat out, you know, no money in their pocket. People that are in revival can have everything everybody else has, but those things don't have us. Amen. Amen. So a person who's consecrated, sold out, praise the Lord. And then we talked about number four, humility. And that simply means that it's not all about you. Amen. You want God to use whoever he wants to use. You want his spirit to fall on whoever is, is, is you want his spirit to fall on everyone who is open and hungry. And if a person's in revival, it's not just about him or his church or his little group. Some people have the idea, well, if, if revival is going to start, it's going to restart. It's going to start in our church. It would have to start in our church because after all, we're the best. We got the best church. We're more spiritual than anybody and, and, and we do everything right and we're more consecrated and we have better doctrine. And so surely if revival is going to start, it's going to start here. That's, that's the, the surest way not to have revival. <laughs> Amen. 
Humility is God, I, I, I am just, it, it is only your grace that allows me to have any participation in what you're doing. It's by your grace alone. I, in my natural ability or in my natural qualifications, I don't measure up. And I, and I just want revival to come. And if it breaks out in the church across town, God bless them. I, I, I'll support it. I'll, I'll give thanks for it. But God, I want, I want your blessing upon me, but not solely upon me. See, I want God's blessing. I want revival. I must have revival. See, that's what a person's in revival says. I must have revival. I cannot live without God's reviving me. I can't live. I'm not interested in tomorrow unless there's a fresh move of God in my life tomorrow. But I'm not, I'm not jealous when God moves somewhere else. That's what I'm talking about, about humility. The people, and see, the things that I'm, that I'm listing here, these aren't things that I just sat down and, uh, and had the Holy Spirit try to reveal to me, uh, you know, what things should be in someone's life who experiences revival. That's not the way I went about this. The way I went about compelling, compiling this list is I've studied revivals. I have many books on many different revivals and I've read them over the years. And so I went back and gleaned from those books what the characteristics were in people's life. What did they look like? That's how I came up with these things. And so the people that, that, that have experienced revival, they were praying for revival for, on a big scale. They were praying for revival to sweep their community. I remember the great uh, uh, Azusa Street Revival that actually started in, um, in uh, I said a few weeks ago, huh? Pasadena. It started at a little church in Pasadena and it started working out from there. And so as the revival began to grow, they began to claim all of Pasadena for, for, for a revival, revival to sweep Pasadena. And then they prayed for a revival to sweep all of Los Angeles County. And then they prayed for a revival to sweep all the way from, from, uh, from uh, Los Angeles to San Diego. And then they prayed for a revival to sleep, sweep the nation. As their vision grew, they kept expanding. We want, we want what we have to spread. We want it to go other places. Humility. Amen. Now, the, the fourth, fifth thing I want to talk about today is... People who are experiencing revival, and again, this is not something that I've, I wrote up because I think this should be. This is just what I have found is characteristic of people in revival. They have a passion to reach the lost. In every revival, every recorded revival in history, when God begins to pour his spirit out, what happens is people begin to get interested in reaching the lost. People that before that time really never witnessed anybody, really weren't that interested. You know, some people are so satisfied with their own salvation, they have little faith or time or interest in the salvation of others. Well, when God begins to get a hold of your heart and you start beginning to get stirred up and revival fire begins to burn in your heart, you will naturally want to reach other people. There's just something inherent in revival is that it causes people to want to reach the lost. We begin to be interested in people. I know my wife and I, you know, we fly together and, and uh, every time I fly over a major city, maybe you're coming into land, you know, and, and, and we fly over a large city, and whether it's daytime or night, I look out the window and every single time my heart goes out, I, I, I cannot escape the question. You know, every time I see that view behind, down below me, the millions of people below me, and I think, I wonder how many people are, are, are lost. I wonder how many souls in this city are not gonna make it. They're gonna be lost forever. And, and my heart goes out, I think, oh God, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? There's this, people are perishing all around us. Revival will put that in your heart and it'll make it a consuming uh, passion in your heart that you know you're not gonna save everybody but you're gonna get everybody you can. You're gonna have a desire. Amen, that's part of revival. I'm gonna have to go quickly through these. Number six, 
a sincere desire for all of God's work to advance. A sincere for all of, a desire for all of God's work to advance. What do I mean by that? God works in a lot of ways. God has a lot of, of, of operations. God works in various ways. The local church is a, a fundamental and, and pre, uh, predominant way that the Lord is working. He works through the local church. A person who is in revival has a sincere desire that all of the ministries within the local church function right. And what that, what that requires that person to do is to get involved. If you're in revival, you want to be involved in what God's doing. And, and, and first of all is the, is the local church. You know, I... Uh, uh, think Jonathan over here, Jonathan Sheets was talking to me a couple weeks ago. He was just wanting to, to some, some advice. And uh, what could I, instruction could I give him concerning the revival and, and cooperating and making sure, you know, he, he was where he needed to be. Does that basically sum up your, your heart's desire? And, and I started talking to him about the fact that in my younger uh, days, when my, in that local church that I described as being in revival, there were several of us young men that uh, most of them were there before I got back into fellowship with the Lord. This revival was going on while I was backslid. When I got back into fellowship with the Lord, a few months later, I started going to, to this church. It happened to be the church that I had gone to when I was, when I was a teenager before I uh, backslid. But there was a revival going on and there were all of these young adults, uh, uh, what we called Jesus people or Jesus freaks. You know, we were hippies that came out of that culture that got saved and, and, and a group of them ended up in this church. Well, when I got back into Fellowship of the Lord, there they were. And so some of them were people that I'd actually gone to school with and had lost contact with. And... Uh, you know, there, there, was a, there was a good group. I, don't, I can't remember exactly how many men and young men and women. And that church was really on fire. And, and all of us young people, and it affected the teenagers. What was going on among the singles and, and young adults, I wasn't single because I'd married so young, but going on among the young adults, uh, this revival uh, really ignited the whole church and it ignited the, the teenage group, the high school group. And, and, and it really just revived the whole church. But there were several of us young men that uh, uh, were really on fire for God. But there was only a handful of us who were actually involved in our local church. Now, I had been raised to appreciate and value the local church and I knew that, that it was my responsibility to ability to be involved in the local church. And so I got involved very quickly and, uh, and, and began to, to uh, be moved into places of leadership in that church. And, uh, and a couple of these other men who had not been raised in church, they followed the same pattern. They began to get involved in, in helping in the church, volunteering, taking positions of leadership and just in the helps ministry and so forth. Some of the others didn't. Now, on nights when we didn't have our local church, when our local church met Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and on other nights when we weren't having services in our church, usually at least two or three of the other nights of the week, we were somewhere else. The charismatic revival was flowing, you know, and we would go over to this church or this group, you know, and, and meet with them and, because we just longed for the fellowship uh, of believers. And there was a wonderful ecumenical fellowship of, of spirit-filled believers all over the city. You'd meet them at the, at the Christian bookstore and, and buying books and exchange, you know, testimonies of what God was doing. It was wonderful. But we were very committed to our church. Now, there were three or four of us that were, but the rest of them, they were more committed to floating around, you know, just being involved in everything, but not committed to any one group. I can tell you today, standing here, that every single one, without an exception, every single one, well, I'll, tell, I'll give you except one exception, every single one, except one, are completely backslidden today that didn't get involved in the local church. Today, they're, back, or they're backslidden or dead. 
uh, died untimely deaths. But the main thing is that they're not with God. They're not, they're not producing anything. Now, there were four of us in particular that had a call on our lives for full-time ministry. Two brothers, John and David, myself, me, and another man named Ralph. We all had the call of God on our life. John and David and I are all pastors. All three of us are in full-time ministry. Went to Ramah, graduated, went out and started churches. For all of these uh, 30 years, we've been involved in ministry. Ralph had more on the ball spiritually than any of the other three of us. Ralph, when I knew him in school, actually I didn't know him very well because he was an underclassman and we didn't fellowship with underclassmen. But he was in the drug crowd in the junior class. I was in the drug crowd in, crowd in the senior class, but we still didn't fellowship. And, uh, but he had a reputation. You know the old, uh, the old uh, cartoon, Beetle Bailey? You know that one character named Zero? My friend Ralph had exploited, had, been, had abused drugs so bad. Now, now, I did a little bit, but compared to this guy, he had taken over 200 LSD trips. I'd taken a few, but nothing like that. And he was burned completely out. In fact, his friends called him Zero. He was just burned out. He was actually in the church when I started attending this church, got in fellowship with the Lord. He was already there. So I got to talking to him, renewed our friendship, you know, and uh, he developed such a sharp mind and it was 100% miraculous because he was, he was just fried. He was just an acid head, just fried. He had, he could teach he had such an ability to teach. He was an excellent teacher. He had wisdom when you wanted to know, well, you know, just us young men, we would discuss things, you know, discuss Bible things in our lives. You know, anything come out of his mouth, you say, oh man, that's astounding. That's just the wisdom of God. He also, God did this for him. He supernaturally, God gave him the ability to memorize scripture like no one I've ever known except maybe Kenneth Hagin. We would be talking, you know, about, and we'd read, we were reading Brother Hagin's books, you know, and, and studying and trying to grow. And, and we'd be sitting around talking, and one, say, well, one guy would say, where's that scripture over in, in uh, I think it's in Jeremiah, and you quote a little bit of it, and he'd say, that's, that's Ezekiel 4, 12. Turn over there, and sure enough. I mean, and it just happened all that. He just knew the Bible. It's phenomenal. Here's, I'm going to run a little late here, but, but this is important. He had a weakness in that he was committed to the church. In other words, he came, he played the drums. He was the one that would play the drums. And when the lady would sing the old unbelieving song, It's Me Again, Lord, he would fold the drumsticks and go, phew, phew, just make, a, make awful faces and stuff. He didn't like to hear that unbelief. He just, he'd sit up there and just, just, you know, just make a, it was hilarious. But, uh, so he was involved in that sense, but he also had this going on. He liked, and we all liked to witness. We all went out, you know, and, and all of us, we'd go out as teams and just go witnessing, you know, passing out tracks. But on Sunday morning, he's driving to church. On Sunday morning, he's gonna usher that morning or whatever, you know, he was maybe played the drums. On the way to work or on the way to church, he'd see somebody sitting on the porch and he said the Holy Spirit let him just turn over there and go witness that guy. So he'd spend the next hour witnessing to this person on the porch and, and, and didn't go to church, didn't fulfill his responsibility. He said the Lord led him to do that. I said, I just, I, just, I was going, I was going to be there this morning, but I was going by and I, and I saw these guys, you know, sitting out in their car in front of Dunkin' Donuts and I just felt impressed I need to go talk to him. So he'd pull in there and talk to him. Well, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's good to witness to people, but I'm gonna tell you what, the local church is important. God calls us together. 
There is a calling together, assembling together, being drawn by the Spirit, and you have to, you have to uh, yield to that. And you have to know how to, how to uh, discipline yourself and how to discern the leading of the Spirit. Well, see, he would do that. He would never completely commit. He would do other things. Well, he went to Rhema too. He has never been in full-time ministry because since, the, since he went to Rhema, he's never been faithful in a local church. 30 years, 30 plus years have come and gone. The last, matter of fact, I had him here on a Wednesday night a few years ago. His name was Ralph, maybe five or six years ago. It was longer than that. It was in this building. Maybe eight years ago. I invited him. Does anybody remember me having an old friend? I had him minister. The reason I did that because the call of God is still there. The gifts and callings of God are without remiss. What I was wanting to do is I was trying to, to, to get him back in the pulpit and, and get something uh, uh, reignited, get him in touch with that anointing and that calling again. To, to get, he's never done anything. Now, he witnesses, don't misunderstand me, that's important. Right now, the last I heard, this was true whenever he was here a few years ago, and I guess it remains true today. today. On Sunday mornings, he goes downtown to the mission, you know, where they, the soup kitchen, where they give out food, and he goes out there on Sunday mornings and ministers to people and helps pass out food. Listen, that's wonderful, those things are wonderful, but the local church is essential. My point is he never respected like he should the local church and it sidetracked him. Call of God on his life, he's never fulfilled it, never been a great blessing. I mean, I'm, there's some people that are, that are not hungry today because of him, but uh, he's never been the, the blessing to the body of Christ that he could have been. So what am I saying? When, a, when, we're, when you're experiencing revival, it will put like it did the three of us that have all gone into full-time ministry, it will put in you a, a desire to see all of God's work uh, uh, grow. Isn't that right? Let me see how I wrote that. The, that there's a desire for all of God's work to advance. The local church, that means participate. Evangelism, world missions, you're gonna be interested in that. You're gonna have a part in that. If you're not called to go, you're called to give. Uh, you're interested in the ministry gifts being in full development and operation, all of the five-fold ministry. You're interested in the ministry of the word and the spirit. That's why I was exhorting the young people back months ago uh, the singles, this was many, many months ago, I exhorted you about the importance of stir yourself up where the gifts of the Spirit are concerned. You remember that? You know, you, because you ought to be flowing in those things. And that, but not just them, everybody. Amen. Uh, you, you're interested in all of the work of God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's stop there. Glory to God. I've got one, two, three, four more. We'll get them another time. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for revival. Father, we pray that the revival will grow stronger, that there will be a deeper work even than what we've seen so far, Father, that this work of revival will grow deeper in us and expand more among us, but not limited to us. Father, that revival will spread all over our community that there will be an awareness of God working, that you'd pour your spirit out, Father, in these last days that we're living in, that you'd pour your spirit out on hungry people all over, Father, all different churches, people who aren't in churches, Father. Father, that, we, that your glory would be seen, that your power would be in manifestation, that your spirit would be working, Father. 
not only in our community, but all over our nation, all over the world, Father. There's such a harvest that has to come in before Jesus returns. We pray for it, Father. We pray for it, Father. We pray for this harvest and we pray for revival because we know that the harvest cannot come in until your people are revived, until your people catch fire, Father, and have these passions burning on the inside, these things that all believers know they should do, but they're just not passionate about it because the things of this world have them so wrapped up and and tied up. But Father, that revival would spring and and, and catch fire on on the insides of all of us, Lord so that we put the things of the kingdom first, seeking you first above all things, trusting you, Lord, to add all of these necessary things that we need in our lives. Glory to God. I thank you for it, Father. Glory, 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 glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, we consecrate ourselves today. Lord, whatever your will is for our lives, we submit ourselves. We offer ourselves for your service, Lord. For you to use any way you want to. Father, if it's serving in the background where no one sees and no one appreciates, that's fine. We just want to serve you, Father. We just want to be used of you, Father, to complete your plan in the world, in our nation, our community, and in our own lives, Father. Not our will, but your will be done, Father, we pray. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Just lift your hands and thank you today. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're so grateful, Father. We're so grateful for you moving among us, quickening and and visiting us. You've told us about this visitation that's coming to America and the world, and we're, we're tasting it even now. Thank you for it, Father. But we know there's so much more there's so much more of this visitation. There's so much, um, so much deeper and far-reaching, life-changing that needs to happen in all of our lives. Oh, we seek it, Father. We seek it. 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 We desire it, Father. Glory to God. We hunger and thirst, Father, for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for your things, Lord. Glory to God. Earthly things just do not matter. They just don't have the allure. The the things of this world just we've lost interest in, Father. Help us to be more heavenly minded, more mindful of you and your ways and your plans than we've ever been before, Father. Hallelujah. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.